Thanks, James. Morning, guys. Thank you for being here with us today. Uh, we're going to be uh, just a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you've got your Bible, your Bible app. Before we get there, uh, let me just thank you again for being a part of our church and being here today. And uh, Usher's going to come and take our offering right now. We'll pass those black buckets. Uh, if you're a guest today, please don't feel obligated to give. But I want to thank those of you that do partner with us. Uh, your giving makes what we do around here possible. I just want to thank you for that. And one more thing I want to mention quickly as well is that people ask me from time to time where they can get my books. And I used to be across the street at Hastings. They carried most of them, if not all of them, and they were very kind about that. But that store went belly up. And so we've got some. Uh, we provide them. They're out in the lobby. I don't know how many are left, but they're out there. Uh, we're some greatly discounted. And by the way, none of the proceeds go to me. They all go to East Point. But if you uh, want to check that out, you can do that afterwards if you'd like to. Uh, we're in part four today of our 50 Days of Transformation series. And we're going to take a look at how to change your life by changing your mind. How to change your life by changing your mind. I mean, again, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in just a minute. Uh, some time ago, several years ago, a woman who I will call Carol, not a real name, came up uh, after a service and said she needed prayer. And I could tell that she was hurting. Couldn't make eye contact with me at all. She looked like she'd lost her best friend or her dog or something. She could tell she was very distraught. And I said, you know, how can I pray for you? And without blinking, she said, well, there's really nothing you can do, there's nothing anyone can do, there's nothing even God can do for me. Uh, it's my fault, my life is hopeless, and there's really nothing that's ever gonna be okay again. That broke my heart to hear that from her, and I did pray for her. But she had a belief, and it was a false belief that uh, was negatively affecting her entire life. It was affecting everything about her life, her relationships, her relationship with God, her own perspective of her life and what God was trying to do in her and through her. And in fact, that false belief that she was beyond repair. That was really the core of her false belief, that she was beyond repair. That, that was affecting her relationships, it was affecting her physical health, and it was affecting her mental health. And today we're gonna to talk about mental health. Now lots of things we could dive into in that, I suppose. And uh, this week in your Transform Life groups, which a lot of you have been a part of that, it's not too late to get involved, but in the Transform Life groups this week, Pastor Rick's gonna take you through five things you could do to have mental health. But today, I wanna to land on how we can improve our mental health by learning to mind our mind. How we can improve our mental well-being by learning to mind our mind. In other words, how to manage the bad, the evil, and in fact, the, uh, the untrue thoughts that all too often try to destroy our lives. From the beginning of this series, uh, in fact, the very first week, we landed on Romans chapter 12, verse two. And it's the theme verse for the entire series. This week, it happens to be our memory verse as well. And we're encouraging you to memorize the scripture with us each week, and it's happening across the board. And, all the age groups, but the verse this week is Romans 12, verse two. Let me read it to you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. Paul challenges us here to not be conformed to the culture, to the world around us, but in fact, to be transformed by renewing of our minds in Christ. And I need you to understand something I've said quite frequently in this series, that this renewing process is just that. It's a process. There's never gonna come a point in this life, on this side of eternity, where you're gonna say, boom, done, my mind's renewed, I'm over, let's move on to the next thing. There's always something. As long as we're in these earth suits, as long as we're on this planet, as long as we're on this side of eternity, we're always gonna be working on this thing of renewing. It's never gonna happen overnight, and it's never gonna happen where you feel like, I'm, okay, I'm done, I don't need to work on this anymore. And in fact, it doesn't matter how high or low your IQ is, which is really good for guys like me. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. It doesn't matter how dope you are. 
Dope used to mean stupid, now I guess it means cool. I'm just trying to keep up with language. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christ follower either. It does not matter. The process of cooperating with the transforming work of the Holy Spirit is just that. It's a process. It's a process of renewing our minds, renewing our thoughts, and renewing even our beliefs. And that becomes important to us because if we don't do that, then we'll never become the man or the woman God has destined us to become. Until renewing of our mind takes place, and as that takes place, that's where we discover who God is, what he has for us, and what he's destined us for, and our purpose is on planet Earth. So here's the big idea. It's on the back side of your bulletin if you take notes this morning. No lasting change takes place in your life until your thoughts begin to change. No lasting, eternal change takes place in your life until your thoughts begin to change. In other words, if you're a Christ follower, some of you are not yet, and I, I understand that, and I appreciate that you're here. But if you've made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus and to be a Christ follower, then nothing of eternal significance happens until you get to renewing your mind in Christ. In fact, the more we become like him in our thoughts and renew our minds, the more we live like him, think like him, behave like him. And that's why this is such a big deal. If you ask someone uh, in your family or where you work, hey, what, what's, tell me what you really wanna change in your life. Almost always, what people go to immediately is a circumstance. I wanna change you know, my job. I wanna change my, you know, uh, my, my living situation. I wanna change whatever. We tend to go to something rather than someone. We wanna change something. We wanna change the state of our relationships or the condition of our, our finances. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with wanting good and godly change in those areas. But what I need you to understand today is that everything, and I cannot land on this hard enough, everything starts right here. It starts right here in our head. It starts with our thoughts. As I said each week, and I'll say it again today, if you've not written it down, you haven't got it, write it down. Change the way you think, you change the way you live. Change the way you think, you change the way you live. And that's why this renewing of our minds is such a big deal. Your thoughts control your life. Your thoughts control your life. In fact, every single action begins with a thought. Now, I'm not talking, I'm talking about action. Obviously, there are a lot of things we do without thinking. Right now, you're breathing and you haven't been thinking about that all day until right this moment. Now you're thinking about it. But there are a lot of things we do without thinking. When I'm talking about actions, things that we do, things that we say, things that we put our hand to, everything that we put our mind to, put our hands to, starts in our heads. It begins with a thought. If you think you're worthless, you think you're ugly, you think you're useless and insignificant, then that belief, that thought, is going to impact and affect everything around you. It's going to impact your life in a very negative way. The flip side, if you believe that you're deeply loved by God and of great value to him, then that belief is going to shape who you are and what you do. I say it all the time. In fact, almost every letter or email I write, I sign it, you are loved. Why do I do that? Why is that like one of the most important things I want people to understand. Why do we talk about it on a recurring basis around here at East Point? Because when you get that you are loved, it changes you. When you understand and believe that deeply in your soul, then it changes the way you relate to God, it changes the way you relate to people. And so what we believe, what we think, deeply matters. Your thoughts are vitally important to your peace, to your happiness, and to your emotional and spiritual health. Next week, we're gonna take a look at emotional health. Today, we're gonna talk about mental health. I'll say it one more time, at least. Change the way you think, you change the way you live. Change the way you think, you change the way you live. Okay, good, I got it, Boob. Now what else? How, well, how do we do that? How do we manage our thoughts better? I had you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's pick it up in verse three. 2 Corinthians 10, verse three. Paul says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power, godly power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now can we just admit something? If you're new to the Bible or you're investigating Christianity or you've never read this passage before, it's weird. It just sounds kind of, what, what is he talking about? Demolishing strongholds and weapons of our fight are not you know, of this world and, and, and we take captive every thought. It, this sounds kind of unusual. It's definitely different. But what he's dealing with here is this issue of warfare. And, and what he wants us to understand and something that we need to know is that we need to mind our mind. We need to manage what's going on in our heads because we're in a spiritual battle. So how do we mind our mind? Here's the first thing, number one. Here's the first thing you've got to realize, that there's a battle raging and you can't afford to forget that reality. I run into people all the time who do not live with a, an awareness of the fact that they are in a battle. They get up and they go through their day and they never even think twice about the fact that, that they are in a spiritual war, in a battle. And I, again, I recognize, I admit that it may sound kind of strange if you're investing in Christianity, but I'll unpack, unpack that in just a minute and help you understand why we believe that. But Paul says, though we live in the world, verse three, we do not wage war. He's assuming that we are waging war as the world does. In fact, the weapons he says we fight with, so we're fighting. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, to blow up strongholds. The apostle Paul here is reminding them and us that we are in a battle and that we have weapons we're to use. In verse three, he uses military words, waging war. Verse four, it talks about the fight and the weapons for the fight. And then that strange thing about the demolishing strongholds, which I'll talk about in just a moment. You need to understand that you are in a battle with a very real enemy, with a very real enemy who hates you and he wants to take you out. Now, let me quickly insert this. That does not mean that we need to live in fear. Don't live in fear. The Bible's very clear about this. Greater is he, God who is in you, than he that is in the world. We do not have to walk and live in fear but we can't afford to walk in ignorance either of the spiritual reality that there's a battle all around us. And who is the battle against? What's our, our, who's our primary enemy? Well, the scriptures are very clear about this. Old and New Testament, his name is Satan, he's the devil. And for the record, he hates you and he wants to destroy your life. John 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, 8, and I love it, it's in the New Living Translation. Peter says, stay alert, watch out, for your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I don't know about you, but the picture I see here is someone who wants to kill you, wants to take you out. And Peter's not saying live in fear, live in terror, live, you know, freaking out about that all the time. What he says is stay alert and watch out for the enemy. Now certainly we live in a culture that is anti-Christ as well. If you haven't figured that out, let me just tell you, the culture by and large that we live in is opposed to God, opposed to him, is literally anti-Christ, is against Jesus and what he teaches. The culture we live in is an enemy that we have to face. We also have to face another enemy and it's our old nature. And I've talked about this before, I don't have time to really unpack this this morning, but even though we are in Christ, we become perfect in him, we have a relationship with God, we still have to wrestle with this old man, old woman, this old nature. And again, on this side of eternity, that's a reality we'll have to deal with until we go to be with him. But you and I cannot afford, though there are other enemies, we cannot afford to forget this very basic and very important fact that we are in a battle and it's against the devil. And the scripture says we need to stay alert and watch out. Too many wander through life day after day after day, not understanding that there's someone who wants to destroy you. 
And again, not to create fear, but to create awareness and to stay alert and to watch out. That's what Peter said. Here's the second thing you gotta do to mind your mind. Number two, you must demolish lies with truth. Demolish the lies with God's truth. Verse four, again, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power, godly power, God's power to demolish strongholds. What does Paul mean here when he talks about uh, demolishing strongholds? What's he referring to? Well, I've heard lots of different definitions over the years from different people, some of them preachers, some of them theologians, about what strongholds are. I always like to remind people that we let the Bible define the Bible. And if you look at verse five, Paul defines what the strongholds are. In context, right here. He says, we have divine power to demolish the strongholds. In verse five, he says, what are they? We dem demolish, again, demolish the strongholds, arguments and every pretension. What's that? Posing and posturing. We demolish strongholds, arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Simply put, I'll put it in one phrase, it's an outline, it's in your outline. A stronghold is any place where evil, where any place where evil is entrenched in our culture or in the hearts of people as a strongly fortified place of falsehood and error. It's a strongly fortified place of falsehood and error. I'll put it in two words, it's any lie. What are strongholds in our culture? Any lie. And there are a lot of lies that we buy into, a lot of lies that we could talk about, but let me just mention a few that deeply affect, unfortunately, our relationship with God all too often and our relationships with others. One of the lies is the lie that human value is based on human effort. From the time we are little kids, we are taught this directly or indirectly, that our value is based on our effort. Succeed, you're valuable. Fail, you're not. Be popular, you're valuable. Not so popular, you're not valuable. Do really well in school. Be a, a you know, a, I think he's the word, the first service, I made up a word, neek, which is a nerd and a geek. Be a neek. And you know, some, in some cultures, that makes you valuable. We define in our world, in our culture, all sorts of things that make you valuable according to the standard of our world, the, the culture we live in. But the Bible teaches that your value has nothing to do with what you do and everything to do with who you are. Let me say that again. Because you are a human, created in the image of God, that and that alone gives you great value to the Father. And that's why he values everyone, no matter what. That's why he values and, and places great value on life, because we are created in the image of God. We are human, and because of that, God values us deeply. It's not what you do, it's who you are that matters to God. Here's another lie, the lie that you are hopeless and never gonna change. And again, this is one that I ran into with my friend Carol, I prayed for her down front years ago, and I run into this all the time. I hear these words, or I see this, this demeanor on faces all the time. I'm hopeless, it's hopeless, nothing's ever gonna change. And I love to, to remind people when I hear that or see that, that, listen, God is bigger than anything and everything we face. And nothing and no one, listen to me, nothing and no one is ever hopeless when God's in the mix. No one. Romans 15 says God is a God of hope. And we've defined hope as the Bible does, as confident expectation. God is the one we can put our confidence in because of who he is. He's God of hope and he wants us to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, says in Romans chapter 15. Hebrews 13, I love another passage where the writer says that God will never leave you and never forsake you. People say, well, I'm worthless scum. God doesn't care about me. And I remind them, no, God's always gonna be there for you. He will never leave you and never forsake you. We gotta break the power, the stronghold uh, the lie that we're hopeless and never gonna change. Many years ago, a friend of mine named Dylan committed suicide. It was a dark, des desperate time for, for me, 
to watch a friend of mine commit suicide. And some of you have had friends or family that have been there. And in his, his note, his letter that he left to his family and friends, he said, I, felt, I feel hopeless. There's no hope for me. And so he ended his life. And that's a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell that destroys people all the time. God is a God of hope, and he wants you to hold on to that. Here's another lie. A lie that God is angry, distant, and disgusted with you. That God is angry, that he's distant, that he's not near, and that he's disgusted with you. And again, I see this, and I hear this all the time. People, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know what I, I failed. I've, so, I've made so many mistakes. I keep doing the same thing over and over. And I'm sure God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And I, just, I look at him and say, well, that's a lie. And I love to tell, it's a quote of a friend of mine, God's not mad at you, he's mad about you. God is never mad at you. He's mad about you, and it's a huge difference. And we gotta stop believing the lie that God is disgusted with us. Listen carefully to me. It may seem obvious to say this, but the antidote to any lie is truth. The antidote to any of the lies that the enemy wants us to believe, that our culture wants us to believe, or that we tell ourselves in unhealthy self-talk, the antidote to those things is truth. And that's why, let me connect the dots for you, that's why we need to saturate our minds in truth, in the word of God. The Bible is our soul food, guys. It's our manual for living. It's truth. It's, it's what washes us from the lies and the stain of, of lies that, that affect, affect us all the time. The lies of the enemy, the lies of our culture, the lies we feed ourselves. It's the word of God. Jesus in John 17, 17 prayed this. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus in that great prayer found in John 17 for the disciples and for us his disciples for eternity. He prayed this prayer. Father, sanctify them, set them apart, make them special, help them understand how valuable, important, sanctify, make them whole and holy, sanctify them by your truth. And then Jesus defined what truth is. Well, what's truth? People say, well, what is truth? Jesus said, your word, Father, your word is truth. The word of God is truth. And Jesus himself, when he was tempted, Matthew chapter four, you can read it on your own. When he was tempted in the desert by the devil, by the tempter. Over and over again, the devil brought a lie or at best a half-truth against Jesus. And what did Jesus say every time in reply? He said, nope, it is written. The scriptures say, it is written. No, that is a lie. That is not true. It is written. Here's what the truth is. Let me point out something obvious again. Jesus knew the truth. He'd spent his life studying the truth. He'd saturated his mind and his heart with the truth. We need to dig a well in the word. Let me suggest a goal. Here's a spiritual goal for you. Here's a goal that will help your mental health. And make time, don't find time, make time every day to invest at least five, 10, 15 minutes reading the word of God. Make time every day saturating your mind and your soul with the truth of God's word. Almost every day. Sometimes it's not quite exactly the same, but almost every day. I read a chapter in Proverbs, so there's 31 chapters, Today I read Proverbs chapter 30. I, I read a, a proverb, a chapter from Proverbs. I read a psalm, at least one chapter from the Psalms, and then I love to read throughout the New Testament. Right now I'm hanging out in Colossians. And, I, and what I do is I saturate. I'll read it over and over and over again. I'll read through Colossians probably 20, 25 times. You know, not in a day, but over a period of a couple of weeks before I'm done. And then I'll, because I just want to saturate myself. Now there are other things I read in other passages, but if you're, I want to challenge you to make time, carve out time every day Day because you need to know the truth. That Jesus says the truth that sets us free. You need to saturate your mind with the truth of God's word. And so pick up that Bible, download a Bible app, spend time, invest time every day reading the word of God. 
If you want to free your mind from falsehood, then bathe it in truth. It's important. Here's the third thing you got to do to mind your mind. Number three, take captive the thoughts that try to captivate you. Take captive the thoughts that try to captivate you. Verse five says we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Interesting phrase. We take captive. We conquer. Every thought that comes into our minds and we make it obedient. We submit it. We surrender it. We make it obedient to Jesus, to Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm still working on this, and I do not take captive every thought. By the way, neither do you, not yet. That's why I said earlier, this is a process we're gonna continue to grow in all our life. But to the degree we succeed here, we will be healthy, mentally, spiritually healthy. We've gotta learn to take captive. And by the way, you are the only one that can control your thoughts. Did you know that? The devil cannot control your thoughts. He can tempt you, and he does. But he cannot control you. He doesn't make you do anything. And by the way, God will not control your thoughts either. He will not control you. God does not want you to be a robot that's programmed by him. Made in his image, one of the beauties of that means that we have been given free will. We get to choose. And we choose, and I want to encourage you to choose well. God won't control your thoughts. The devil doesn't control your thoughts. You and you alone are the one who can take captive those things that are in your heart. You and you alone have the ability and the responsibility to control your thoughts. Years ago, I had a friend named Kenny who uh, was always getting in trouble. He's one of those guys that I loved him, but constantly doing something dumb and getting in trouble. And finally, he really went over across the line. In fact, got busted, got arrested, and landed in jail. And I, get, I was his one call. I, I get a call. And, and uh, Kenny says, can you come down, Pastor Kurt? I'm in jail. Well, because I was a pastor and blah, 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 I got to go in and spend some time with him. And what amazed me, is that Kenny, for the next 20 minutes, he spent the entire time excusing himself. It's not my fault. The devil made me do it. Pastor Kurt, I, I don't, you need to pray for me. It's, I really didn't want to do that. It's not my, I was controlled. I didn't mean to do that. It was not my fault. He, he took zero responsibility for his actions, and he blamed the enemy. And finally, I got you know, a, a little fed up, and I said, Kenny, shut up. <laughs> Counseling is not my forte. I can't just shut up for a minute. I can't, you, you're just being really dumb because listen to yourself. You're telling me it's, you're not responsible for what you've done, that the, the devil's to blame. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. It is your fault because you and you alone can control your thoughts. Listen, you and you alone control your thoughts. In fact, every single action begins with a thought. Everything you do and say begins with something that starts right here. And it's our lifelong goal and it's something we're always gonna have to work on. That's, that's, the hard news, the good news is we're not alone in this. But we've got to learn to manage our mind, control our thoughts. Kenny's problem is the same problem I have, and so do you at times. We sometimes live an ineffective life. We're prone to despair and failure, and we're weak in our resistance to sin and temptation because we've never learned how to fight the battle of the mind. We just let our mind run amok and off, you know, all sorts of crazy directions. And what we've got to do is we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, which means that one of the things we do is we identify lies. One of the things you have to get better at, and you can't do that until you know truth, that's why I said spend time in the Word, invest time in the Word, is you've got to recognize when something comes in your head and it's a lie from the pit of hell or a lie from our culture or a lie from your own self-talk, you need to go, wait a minute, time out. That's a lie. I will not believe that. I'm not going to buy that. That's not truth because the Bible says this. God says this. You've got to reject the lies and hold on to truth. To take captive every thought means that you don't allow your mind or your eyes to wander into darkness either. Some of you are reading things you need to stop reading. 
or you're watching things you need to stop watching, you need to turn it off. Because we're allowing into our hearts, into our minds, stuff that is darkness and polluted and it's, uh, uh, it, it's untrue, it's, uh, it's not who we are. You need to take your thoughts captive by not letting your mind fantasize about things either. And you know, we really, we humans, most of us have really good imagination. Even the most kind of bland person on the planet probably has a pretty active imagination. And we sometimes fantasize, boy, wouldn't it be great to make love to her? Wouldn't it be awesome to kill my boss? And we fantasize all these things and we let this go through our heads and we think, oh, I would never act on that. But the problem is, the more we think about it, the more we let it simmer and settle in our hearts and our minds, the more likely we are, in fact, to do what we don't want to do. We've got to learn to manage our mind. In fact, here's the last bullet in your outline. I want you to write this down. A lazy mind leads to a lousy life. A lazy mind leads to a lousy life. And I'm not saying that to be harsh or mean to anybody. I'm, saying, I'm challenging you, encouraging you. Learn to manage your mind, to mind your mind. Don't be lazy with your thoughts because every time it will bite you. That's the bad news. The good news is, by God's grace and his strength, by his divine power, Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians 10, that we have his help. And yet, we have to choose. We can tap into the resource and the power of God. We can be full of the Holy Spirit and, and learn to say no to sin and yes to God. But we choose. We choose to manage our mind. We choose what we'll dwell upon. We choose what we'll think about. We choose what we'll allow to captivate us. And here's the truth, something's gonna captivate you. It's either gonna be God and truth and what he wants for you, or our culture, or your own negativity, your own negative, broken self-talk. Something will captivate you, and what I wanna encourage you to do is captivate those thoughts and surrender them to Jesus. Choose wisely, guys, choose wisely. Because an unmanaged mind leads to chaos and sin every time. But a managed mind leads to order and victory over temptation. That's why this matters. An unmanaged mind leads to failure and self-hate. But a managed mind leads to grace and hope. And that's what God wants for you. An unmanaged mind leads to stress and tension. You just let those things run crazy in your thoughts and it always will send you into a tailspin of stress and tension. But a managed mind where you surrender those, take them captive and surrender them to obedience to Christ, that's where you'll find tranquility and peace. That's what God wants for you. I got one last quote and one last story and I'm done, but I want you to look at this picture and if you're writing notes, jot this down. You can't change what's going on around you until you start changing what's going on within you. Again, most of us, we wanna change what's going on around us. Here's the fact, you cannot change what's going on around you until you start changing what's going on within you. That's why you gotta learn to manage your mind. Many years ago, uh, I had a buddy of mine, his name was Dave, Dave King. Uh, probably 20, 25 years ago, we hung out a lot. We uh, served together, we traveled together. Uh, the church we were part of, we went on ministry trips together, went to Mexico, went to Scotland. I've been, been around with this guy, and he was a good friend, loved Dave deeply. But uh, we moved, and then he moved, and we sort of kept contact for a while and connection with each other. But over the years, I mean, it was a long time. Over the years, we lost contact with each other and really had no uh, relationship to speak of for, for many years. I'd heard from someone else, another mutual friend, that Dave and his wife had gone through a divorce. And that broke my heart because I love both of them. But uh, that was really all I'd heard about him for a long, long time. About, uh, I don't know, eight, nine, ten days ago, I get a Facebook message from Dave. Now, I don't like Facebook messages. I'm just telling you right now, uh, I can't file them. 
Uh, I don't check them that often, and it's, it just so happened that I was sitting on my phone when it, you know, I, I noticed that there was something that came through, and it was from Dave, and we started you know, communicating with each other. In fact, he sent me a picture. And I was gonna show you the picture, but I posted on Facebook, half of you didn't believe it was me. Oh, that's not you, your eyes are not the right color, that's, you know, you're too skinny, or your hair's black. Well, that was me, it really was me. 30, 25, 30 years ago, that's exactly the way I looked. And, uh, but he sent me this picture, he said, boob, that's what they call me, boob. I saw this, you know, picture, I was thinking about you, and I thought I'd send this to you and reconnect. Well, we're Facebook messaging back and forth, and finally I just said, I hate it, I said, Dave, let's try something radical, call me. Let's talk. So instead of these messages back and forth, we uh, picked up the phone and had a conversation. It was great to reconnect with him. And here's Dave's, the short version of his story. Uh, I don't know whether it was anger because of his divorce or anger that led to his divorce, but there was a lot of anger in his life. His own confession, he, he said, man, I was just very angry. And as a result of that, he said, I wandered far from God. For about 10 years, I just was gone. And off the deep end, messing up and making a mess out of everything. Then he said, but... God and his goodness and his grace came after me and through a friend, Carol Wimber, who went after him and loved on him. Just the Lord began to bring some healing and really restored Dave and his walk with Jesus got healed. And Dave says, I'm back. For about three years now, I've been walking with Jesus and God's doing some amazing things. I'm so excited. And it was just awesome to talk with him. The reason I tell you Dave's story is because Dave's story is my story. I got angry at God. Got bitter at God, you've read it, or I've told you about it before, where I, I basically flipped God off and wandered off the deep end because I did not manage my mind. And I let anger and bitterness consume me, and it led me down a very dark path, and that's what happened to Dave. And I don't want that for any of you. The 10 years that he spent in darkness are years that, that he regrets. The two or three years that I spent in darkness are years that I regret. I don't want that for you. And I'm gonna tell you right now, one of the ways we avoid going that path going down that road is we learn to manage our mind in Christ. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you uh, are patient, long-suffering with us, that you never give up on us, Lord. But I know there's a bunch of us in this room right now or watching online that we've believed lies, we've bought into stuff that's just not true. And it's affecting us deeply. It's affecting our mental health, our spiritual health, our relational health. It's affecting our relationship with you. And God, I, I just pray today, I pray with all of my heart for these people that I so deeply love. I pray, God, that you would reveal lies that they've bought into right now. Holy Spirit, just shine your light on the lie or lies that some of my friends have believed, some of the people I love here in this room or online that they've bought into, they believed. Reveal the darkness for what it is, a lie from the pit of hell, or a lie from this culture, or even maybe a lie that they bought into, they believed themselves. And Lord, I pray that right now you would set them free by your truth. Let truth wash over them. Let truth bring freedom to their life in a way that only you can. And then Lord, in the process, and this is a lifelong process, teach us how to mind our mind, how to manage our thoughts, how to do better at this, God, and we need you. We need your help, Holy Spirit. So fill us, empower us, so that we can demolish the stronghold set up against the knowledge of God. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And every week, two, three, four, five, six, half a dozen people come to a point of decision. They make a decision to say yes to follow Jesus. And if you're here today or you're watching online, and you know it's time for you to make the choice 
to say yes to Jesus, to become a Christ follower. I want to pray a very simple prayer. And yeah, it's my words, it's my prayer, but it, this is your opportunity to own what I say, to make my words yours. As I'm praying, just say, yeah, God, what that guy's saying, that's me, that's what I want. But it begins with this choice to say yes to God. Yes, I need you. Yes, I need a Savior. Yes, I need grace. Yes, I need forgiveness. Yes, I surrender my life. Yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. That's where it begins. And if you're here today and you're ready to make that choice, just make this your prayer right now. Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. I need a Savior. I need grace. I need you. And so right here in this moment, sitting in this room right now, I choose you. I say yes to you. I surrender my life to you. Thank you, God, for choosing me. Thank you for loving me. Even when I was far from you and angry at you, thank you for loving me. Right here, right now, I want to begin my life from here to eternity as a child of God. Now, if that's you, you're always to say, yep, God, that's what I want. And God hears your, your, your heart. He hears that choice from your soul. And right now, he's filling you with his spirit. He's filling you with new life. He's filling you with the power to change from the inside out. It's the beginning. It's not the end of the journey. It's, we say it all the time. It's the beginning of a journey from here to eternity, but it's, it's the start of something amazing because now you belong to him. You're his kid. You're his child. Lord, seal that truth in the hearts of those that are making that decision right now. But for all of us, God, I pray that we would leave you today choosing to manage your mind, to mind our mind in a way that honors you and who we are in you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I finished early today. We're good. But I want to take a time, and I'm going to encourage you not to bolt to get out of here, but to let this song, this is a powerful song, some of you are going to sing this for the first time as a Christ follower, but make this song your declaration right now. Let's worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Some of you this morning, you sang that song for the first time, and it's truth in your life because you made the decision to become a Christ follower today. Welcome. Welcome to the family. I encourage you to do a couple things. Tell somebody. You know, make their day. Come tell me. We want to walk with you in this journey. And then on the tables by the doors is a plastic bag. It's got a Bible. It's got a book. It's material you can study and walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. It's our gift to you. Take this. And then there's information there about our next First Steps class, which I think is December 11th. And that's the one where you'll find out about water baptism and, and be prepared. We're going to do on, on New Year's Day. We are going to have one service at 11 o'clock. It's a January 1st Sunday. And we're going to do water baptism and celebrate. Start the year off right with uh, hope and a lot of people getting baptized. So I want to encourage you to sign up for that class. Get baptized. Those are important next steps. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. There's communion available on both sides of the room, as always. I'll encourage you to tell your friends, come back tomorrow night, bring your family, your neighbors for the uh, Halloween party, and help us bridge uh, to our community in a way that will love them and let them know we love them. And here's my prayer for you. Here's my benediction. Here's my hope. Go this week, minding your mind, and I promise you it'll change the way you live. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. Go Seahawks. Don't tell me the score. Bye-bye. <laughs>